0: This is The Insecurity Project. If you're looking to solve the insecurity problem in your life, rather than just manage it, mask it, or medicate it, you have come to the right place. This is the home of high-quality content and conversations about how to overcome insecurity. If you can do that, it's not just good for you, it's not just good for your friends and family, it's good for the world, so it's kind of important. There's some work to do here, but let's go do this work together. Now, on to today's show. Hello, folks. You're on the Insecurity Project podcast with Jamin. Uh, today, I, my special guest is Michael Bungay Stenya. I, I first heard Michael on a podcast, the Good Life podcast, um, must have been three years ago that I heard you on yeah. that. And I was uh, super impressed. In fact, you said something that has stuck with me forever. And that was look, if we could just wait a little bit longer. Before rushing to advice and action, <laughs> my goodness, it would improve the quality of our yeah. conversations. um totally and I thought, wow, hang on, who is this guy? And that—that's brilliant. Uh, so I've—I've I've, I've been and, and Part of why
1: I'm—well, I'm just going to jump in just to say, part of why I'm so excited about this conversation is the reason that we don't do that can kind of trace back to kind of ego slash insecurity stuff, which is like I'm anxious about the space that that opens up by not filling it with my brilliant ideas and my opinions and whatever it else might be. So this is a really interesting combination of what I come to in terms of curiosity and being more coach-like and what you bring to the world with the insecurity project.
0: Mm. Uh, so I, I, I reached out to Michael uh, after I heard that podcast, didn't really expect you anything back. Um, but you were kind enough to email me back and I asked if you'd be on a podcast. You said, oh, maybe, maybe one day, uh, try me again in 12 <laughs> months. And so I did. And then you said, "Um, yeah, maybe try, try me again in six months. And so that's began a series of emails. And and finally, you said yes. So uh, wonderful to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for being part of the, the project.
1: And thank you for being persistent. Which, <laughs> by the way, for everybody listening, persistence is... Really, I mean Woody Allen said it, which is like ninety percent of success is showing up and persistence is an enormous part of success because I've I've done this a thousand times, Jamin, where I'm like I've reached out to somebody who's, you know, bigger, more famous, more whatever than I am, and didn't hear anything back the first time, didn't hear anything back the second time, heard back some wishy-washy answer the third time, and I'm like, you know what, my superpower is just nagging you. And I'm just gonna (laughs) nag you till I get a yes or a no. And until I get a no, I'm going to assume it's not yet a no. And yeah. I love that you role modelled it on me. So thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, good. No, I'm I'm grateful that I hung in too. Um, <laughs> this is a real treat. So, uh, for those of the listeners who are not familiar with Michael's work, uh, so your book, Coaching yeah, <laughs> 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 your, your book, The Coaching Habit, uh, ha- has been the number one coaching and mentoring book on Amazon for the last four years, which is staggering so it
1: is staggering
0: <laughs> that's wonderful um and in your latest book uh the advice trap um, flows on from that and selling well also I, I love reading the quotes from that and i see that on the socials and so um yeah you, you've, you've done some great work in the world and r- really can't wait to dive into this conversation so uh, let's begin where I begin with all my guests and that is at, at the beginning of the story because it does play such a massive part in who we become and the stories we tell. So tell us a bit about what it was like growing up in your family and particularly the impact uh, your parents played in in your formation years and, and your belief about yourself.
1: Sure. So I, um, I'm i 52, grew up in Canberra in Australia, Australia's national capital and um, the eldest of three so i've got two younger brothers nigel who's 18 months younger than me and gus angus who's five years younger than me and i showed up in the world wired to be confident i just I, and my parents tell the story of saying look we spent years waiting for michael to finally land in the whatever and finally realize that, that the gig is up and I always somehow land on my feet and go, ta-da, <laughs> and move on. And like, we don't know where this kid comes from. Because, I, you know, my parents are both lovely people. But I wouldn't say either of them are kind of strong, strongly super confident. They're modest. They're modest. So, um, you know, my parents are still alive, still together. They've been married for 50, 50 plus years. Um, my dad is a really, actually a really significant role model for me because he is a man of really deep generosity and integrity. He gives a lot. He has always given a lot. He's always served on committees and boards and volunteered. He's always doing good in this world. And, um, and I pretty confident in saying he's never done a shady thing in his life. <laughs> You know how, so all of us, me included perhaps, have this kind of type, some things where you're like, yeah, that was a bit dodgy. That was a bit kind of slippery. I kind of fudged things a little bit there. I suspect my dad has never had that thought cross his mind because he always plays to that kind of um, straight line. The other thing that's interesting about my dad is he has a cleft lip and palate. So for those of you who are just listening and those of you can see me, I also have a cleft lip and palate. So if you're not sure what that is, sometimes it's called a hair lip, uh, when I was born, the top of my mouth was open so if you run your tongue around the top of your mouth it's like a kind a of smooth thing but for me um, I've got a scar up the middle of my mouth and if you look at my lip, I've got a slightly odd um, upper lip because when I was born i didn't I basically had a gap here and they you know, there's a surgery you get and it kind of closes the lip up. But it means that you get um, a slight speech impediment, which you can hear with me, and um, slightly sometimes you get like a slightly squashed face. If you can look at me, I've got a kind of slightly squashed face. Now, I had a phase, a few phases in my life where I got a bit self-conscious about that, but honestly, not really. And in part, it's because I'm like, look, my dad is a cleft lip and palate; he's awesome. Hmm. My next brother, Nigel, cleft lip and palate; he's awesome. In fact, when my youngest brother was born, Gus. And he was like, he was upset because he didn't have a cleft limb palate. He's like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like, actually, you know, it's complicated. So um, so I grew up in a, a, a happy home where I was um, encouraged to um, be myself. I had my assorted flaws, <laughs> tolerated and and smoothed. Uh, you know, growing up, I was, uh, I, I had a kind of strong drive to be a good kid. So I'd be a really good kid in school, really kind of obedient, follow the rules, be the A student, hands up, all of that. And I'd come home and totally lose it with my mum my in particular, because I'm like, I've been good all day. I'm done <laughs> with that now. But, you know, they kind of calmed me down out of that. And they calmed me down around getting angry around failure and not succeeding and not being in control. So, a long long rambling answer, but um, I had a a benevolent childhood, great parents, brothers I really like and love, um, and um, mostly being able to express and grow and practice the things that I'm good at, like uh, reading and writing and playing sports and stepping into leadership opportunities. I was able to do most of that.
0: Wow, that's a lovely story, and it is. And...
1: <laughs> I, I appreciate how how many good cards I have got dealt in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, you know, even I mean, let's start with privilege, right? You know, straight, white, tall, ridiculously good-looking, over-educated, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So I get all of that, and then I have the good luck to have a really stable, caring family that. Allowed me to flourish. I'm like, how can I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I kind of got set up for a pretty amazing life.
0: Hmm. Um, so, so tell us a bit about what happened next as you grew into the world and became the person you are today. And, um, obviously success wasn't handed to you. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to where insecurity showed up for you along the way and how it, how it stopped you at different points and what happened in that process
1: yeah you know um if i think about insecurity um i like maybe maybe this is true for every teenager you know when you're a teenager you're like you're pretty self-conscious about everything and i was self-conscious i went to a boys school so okay at school but you know with girls and all that sort of stuff i was like ah, i don't know <laughs> how does that work um, and uh, you know, when you're a teenager, you're also kind of more self conscious about appearance. Maybe you're always self conscious about appearance, but you know, you're like, I need to be, I need to look this way, and I didn't look that way, so I was a bit self conscious about that. But you know, Jameson, I um, it was a combination of things. One is I I found myself being someone who was always a pretty good listener. And, um, there's a way of, uh, you know, as a teenager and particularly, I, you know, like 17, 18, 19, where you, everybody's life is full of angst because that's the obligation of being a teenager. And I find myself sitting in a car at 2am, listening to my friend, Phil go on and on and on about something that was hard for him. And it was a formative time for me. It really was the first thing that opened up my getting into the world of coaching and curiosity and asking questions and trying to deepen a conversation. But it was also a access to understanding that, you know, as the saying, as the quote goes, which I read later, which is like, you know, be kind because everybody's fighting a battle. And I'm like, look, everybody is fighting a battle everybody everybody is feeling like this, so um, you know, first of all I'm kind of lucky enough to show up that most of the time I don't have a whole lot of insecurity, but when I do it's it's mitigated by a few things mm. one is this idea of hey look, everybody's fighting a battle and kind of a cor- corally, corally. Whatever, I, I, an adjacent thing to that is, somebody once said, "I used to want, worry what people thought of me, and then I realised nobody thinks of me, <laughs> and how yeah. and how liberating that is. Yeah. You know, you're like actually, no, if insecurity is worrying how you show up in the world, when you go, actually nobody ever is thinking about themselves. Nobody's really caring how I show up in the world. Mm. It's a very freeing experience. Mm. And then the other thing that's really helpful for me, Jamin, is to understand your place in this in this universe which is of utter insignificance Mm -hmm. so i've got various things scattered around my life like in my in the washroom toilet down there i've got a picture of the the pale blue dot i don't know if people know that picture but it's a picture of the earth shot from voyager just as it kind of leaves the universe and somehow the earth is captured in a stray sunbeam and it just appears as this tiny, 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 tiny blue dot. And it's like, that's the planet. Mm. (laughs) And that's it. And, um, you're reading Bill Bryson's book, a short history of nearly everything. And he has this metaphor, which is like, if you stretch your arm out from tip to tip, that represents the, the six or seven billion years that the earth has been around humankind has been around as long as the clipping on your on your fingernail Hmm. and then just on a different scale i'm like i'm pretty sure in 200 years nobody will know of me nobody will know my name nobody will remember anything i've written or said or done i will be completely forgotten Hmm. and of course you can go two ways with this you can move into a nihilistic (laughs) existential funk going what's the point Um, or where i go with it is i'm like how liberating because what is there to be insecure about i am already utterly insignificant in terms of time and space it just doesn't matter that much so you can live your life as if it matters or a better way of putting it it's 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 like the it's a paradox and the tensions of a good life which is like live your life like it utterly matters you've got to squeeze squeeze it for all you got and know that it utterly doesn't matter mm. and that for me is a formula that allows me to not get plagued by a whole lot of self-doubt and insecurity because i just go yeah it's like here i go it's my one shot mm. you know somebody wants to describe life as a line and it's all black there's this tiny bit of white that's life. And then it's all black again. That's it. It's like, you're, you're, you're basically irrelevant. How, (laughs) how wonderful.
0: Yeah. Anyway, Uh, that was a bit of a, so (laughs) sorry. That is profound. And I'm, I, the way my brain works is I want to deconstruct the um, what you just did there because that's worked for you. And if it's worked for you, it could work for anyone. Um, So i have got two tattoos on on my legs it's the first time i'm i'm 41 this year and i finally got some tattoos and i've got the Excellent. word <laughs> the word power written uh, on my left shin and the, and the word grace written on my right
1: Beautiful. and it's kind
0: of just exactly what you described live as though i'm a powerful son of a bitch i can do anything like it's an extraordinary gift to be a human being i never imagined that i right. couldn't do or have or be whatever i want um but but i'm no one really like i can't make the sun come up i couldn't work out how to make it rain in the drought, so I <laughs> so just this insignificance and this, um, you know, powerlessness really yeah. connected all life around. So that that yeah. language, that story told, that that um, yeah, that's that's such a, a powerful way of thinking about that same idea. Um, yeah, one of my one of my favourite authors is a guy called Peter Block.
1: He's in the mostly writes around organisational design and change and, and the like, but he's got quite a a philosophical background to the stuff that he does he's kind of very existential and he says when he thinks about his organizational work it's about giving people responsibility for their own freedom that's a another one of those paradoxes those tensions yeah which is you know take the freedom that you've got know that it's unfairly distributed i mean jamie and i you know I don't know much about Jamin, but he's also very good looking, tall, white, male, maybe straight, maybe not dude. I don't know. Um, We have, in some ways we're, we're in a different position to think about power and grace, to think about impact and timelessness and all of that. But, but wherever you are, there's possibly some wisdom in this for you to go, you know, what, what, what do you get to control and how do you play that as hard as you can make a difference, have the courage, make the connections. And how
0: do you have the grace to let go
1: of, of the stuff that's beyond what you can control or influence?
0: Mm. Um, you know, obviously coaching is the modality that that you love and that you've written about extensively. And I'm, I'm a one-eyed coach too. I think it's such a a useful space to hold a clean conversation with people around this because often people get stuck. With insecurity, I think they yeah. get stuck significantly, and it, it becomes a monster in their mind. And um, no amount of clear thinking can get them out of that. So, right. Um, so the way that you think about it for yourself, you kind of coach yourself out of that with some kind of self-correcting, guiding principles. Uh, is that how you coach others through the process as well? Is that kind of where you direct them when you when you hold a space around dealing with insecurity? Yeah. Um. From.
1: If, a bunch of those things that i have like the the, the pale blue dot in the bathroom like on my screensaver i have you know, a different picture shows up from a background of my desktop every day sometimes it's a, a picture of the sun and venus tracking in front of the sun and this tiny thing or a picture of the of the of the universe so you've got these tiny little dots and they're like each one of those is a universe like the milky way or like the bristlecone pine, which is 4,000 years old. So I've got, I've got a bunch of things that are talismanic around time for me, mm-hmm. time and space. But, but, you know, some people are like, that's amazing. Some people are like, I don't get that at all. I'm like, sure. I think the, the here's how I think about it. Or well, here's, here's a half-baked answer about how I think about it. There's something really powerful about getting out of your own way. Hmm. That can be really hard to do. A metaphor I heard the other day, which is like, it's like trying to read the label of a jar when you're inside the jar, you can kind of see, you can kind of see what it says, but it's hard to always know what it is. So it's like, how do you get out of yourself or beyond yourself or over yourself so that you can see yourself in a different way? Um, in some ways, I think that's one definition of emotional intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence is when you can notice yourself in the moment and ask yourself, "Is am I happy with this? Am I happy how I'm showing up? Am I happy with how I'm behaving? And do I need to adjust this in some way?" You 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 maintain or retain a kind of a, a sense of uh, a self-awareness and mindfulness so that you can adjust rather than being just reactive to the situation. Mm. So then it's like, what what experiments work to pull yourself out of yourself? And I think it can be helpful to go back in time. I think it can be helpful to go forward in time. So going back in time, is uh, there's a tool that I, I have called the This Not That tool. And here's what it looks like. It's basically six or seven or eight pairs of words that describe on the left-hand side what, what I'm like when I'm at my very best. And on the right-hand side, a kind of matching word about when I'm, what I'm like when I'm off my game. Not failing utterly, but like 10% off my game or 15% off my game. So uh, for me, I have words like I'm, um, I'm curious rather than a know-it-all. I'm mm-hmm. stepping forward rather than stepping back. I'm being provocative rather than being sycophantic. And those, those words come from me looking back to peak moments and anti-peak moments, low moments in my life going, what was, what, how was I showing up there? What was that like? <laughs> how was I behaving? And noticing kind of the, the physical manifestation of being at my best and being 15% off my game and finding ways and language to remind myself of that. You know, there's this, I think these are the Navy seals, perhaps maybe a Greek philosopher who says, we don't rise to the occasion. We fall to the level of our training. Mm -hmm. And what you do with this, not that tool is um, you, you build a form of training, which is a, a, a level of awareness of what you're like when you're on and when you're off. And what I use it for is when I'm, when I can feel myself getting off my game, you know, I'm going to give a a talk and it's an audience I find more challenging rather than not. Like I'm, I'm really great with some audiences, but if it's, if it's an audience of a thousand alpha male CEOs, that's harder for me because, you know, as you can see, Jamin, I don't look like an alpha male CEO. I don't look like anything to do with alpha male really. Um, so I can feel myself shutting down and playing small and losing some confidence and shrinking a bit. And this is what, that reminds me that, look, I'm at my best when I'm on this side of the column. How do I get from not that back to this? So that's a kind of moving back in time piece, which is remind yourself of what you're like at your best and find a tool to help you re-access that. I also think there's something really powerful about going forward in time. And, uh, you know, if you've got a, a tool, a, a, a goal, a project that you're taking on, and you're like, wow, that's really daunting. <laughs> it's really hard. I don't know if I can do that. Rather than making it a yes or no, can we do it? The question, and this, this comes from a writer called Roger Martin. Um, it's like his core strategic question, which is like, what needs to be true? What would need to be true for this to happen? So let's say you're trying to write a book for the first time and you're, you're all, you've lost confidence about it. You're like, who am I? (laughs) This book's already been written. I don't know how to write a book. And it's like, okay, let's go to the future. What needs to be true for you to be able to commit to and have a go at writing a book? And there can be something really powerful in that question to kind of Get beyond the, the the struggle of the moment to kind of go i'm working back from success in the future how do i then get clear about what i can and can't do as a result of that
0: um yeah that's that's fantastic uh, very useful because like i love the way that you're talking about insecurity and even your own experience of insecurity because i don't think it's common um, i would say for most people overcoming insecurity is very very difficult and, and I would say most people don't even imagine they can live free from it. So just manage it instead. Um, I, I like you, I've, I've definitely had moments where I've been limited by insecurity, but, but it is not a thing that stops me. And, and there are a bunch of tools and ways I think about it as well. Um, so there's so a couple of things that I just want to ask you about in terms of how I think about this and, and get your thoughts. So, yeah, it seems to me that the heart of the problem of insecurity is that it's it simply an issue of your own opinion of yourself. Um, you know, it seems like it's an opinion of what everyone else thinks of you or what you're not doing in the eyes of everyone else. But as you said, no one, no one actually cares. <laughs> uh, I, can, I I can, I, I love running and uh, I was at, uh, at a, a run um, last year. And there's a woman that came up to me after the run who I barely know, and I said, Oh, how, how'd you run? She says, Oh, look, you know, I ran terribly. I've, I've put on five kilos, as you can tell, and my time was 30 seconds off what it should have been. It's just, I'm really embarrassed by my performance. And she was so worried. And I'm like, A, I don't really even know who you are. B, I certainly can't (laughs) tell if you put on five kilos. C, you ran 30 seconds slower than the time. What? How would I care about any of that? Yeah. (laughs) Like it just was so stark. In her mind, everyone cares. Reality, no one cares. So this idea of if you can just see it's, simply a problem of your own opinion of yourself. I think you can do some good work then in, in taking care of that. Um, So I'll I'll, I'll ask another question secondly, but let me, let me hand over to that one. Is that, does that ring true for you in terms of where Uh, the problem lies?
1: It it certainly rings true as a a strong possibility. Um, You know, I, I have written as my kind of automatic sign off on my email and you will have seen this in our exchange, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're awesome. And you're doing great. Mm. Uh, it drives my mum crazy because it's not grammatically correct. <laughs> like, wow, you're so American now. I'm like, I'm not mum, just. But I, I, I would say on a daily basis. I get somebody writing back saying, "Thank you, that's so nice to hear." Yeah, and it's just, it's uh, you know, it's just built into what I send out to people in part because I know there's a, a bunch of people who hear that, and kind of melt a little bit. It softens that inner in critic, which uh, it can be so harsh. Um, you know, there's a terrific book, which Jamie, probably know, called um, "What's It Called?" Tame Your, Taming Your Gremlin, Amazing. and uh, by a guy called Richard, somebody I think. And effectively, it it manifests that inner critic, which we all have: naggy, nag, nag. you not good enough. Blah blah blah. We it's just it's ongoing diminishing conversation it, it asks you to effectively draw it to make make it external something really powerful about making our internal stuff external that's why writing down and journaling can be so helpful um and as soon as you manifest it it loses some of its control over you mm-hmm. so i think it plays into what you're saying jim which is like we tend to think it's about other people not respecting us in the end, it's actually our own stories we tell about ourselves. But then again, if you can pull that out and look at it and go, "Here's the story I'm telling myself," you know, is that true? Is that yeah. is that really true? That's language from uh, uh, Byron Katie, um, and her, her her stuff is called the Work, and it can be helpful. Um, you start thinking to yourself, oh, "Yeah, it's interesting. It sounds so true when it's in my head. When I bring it out, mm. I can see that it's." It's partially true, but not the whole truth. Mm
0: -hmm. And and this is why awareness is so useful because it turns out every time you look at this stuff, it it gets diminished. It doesn't make sense. It's just these stories that go unexamined that become bigger and stronger. Um, Yeah. I
1: I find the stories, I, I call the stories fractal, meaning the more you work on them, they, they change in intensity, but they keep the same shape what I mean by that. Okay. The patterns I work on, my kind of stuff that is the edge of my growth, it's it's been the same forever. <laughs> it's the same damn patterns that I keep working. But as soon as I'm, I kind of conquer one version of it, it shows up in uh, a different way, but fundamentally the same pattern. So I will be working for the rest of my life on stuff around freedom and control. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to be pinned into a corner. Um, I, I do, and I don't want to have control. It's just, it's an endless manifestation. It just shows up differently. So the more you work on it, the faster you recognize it, the more you can forgive yourself to go, look, this is part of what it means to be human is to have these patterns that you're working on. Your job is to do the work, keep working the patterns and not to let them get in your way.
0: Absolutely. So, um, why do you think coaching is so useful for doing that work?
1: Well, I suspect a big part of it is it's an externalization. Mm. You know, it's just you give your self space and permission to put it on the table and go here, here it is. Yeah. And and honestly, I think eighty percent of coaching is that. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm now giving you space and permission to do talk about and do this thing. Hmm. And you know, the next 20% that takes you from good to great is learning tools and techniques and other stuff. But just that externalization, which says at a fundamental level, you're saying you're worth investing in to yourself. Hmm. Part of the, it's part of the journey.
0: That's great. Uh, this, the second question I really wanted to ask you, and I've gone away from my notes. Sorry, sorry to do that, but not sorry. sorry. because that, uh, was a, that,
1: that was always going to happen. <laughs> of course. <laughs>
0: um, so one of the ways I think about the world uh, and the, the challenges in the world, I think the rate of technology is advancing um, astronomically. In fact, I was listening to a podcast this week that said the first people who will live beyond 200 years old are already born. Um, Amazing. You know, that, just, that just blew my mind. Uh, all kinds of technology, with artificial intelligence. Had another conversation mm-hmm. with a company who are building uh, robot coaches, um, wanting to model the world's best coaches. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. The, that's definitely in- happening. With the intention of putting coaching um, available to everyone in the world. Um, which oh, is, it, which it'll
1: is- it'll be on it'll be on Siri in like three, a year or three <laughs> years or five years. You'll go, hey Siri, can you coach me? And Siri yeah. will go, sure. And then Siri will go, so what's on your mind, Jamin? And you'll go, well, blah, blah, blah. And Siri will go, right. So what's the real challenge here for you? And you'll go, Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's a, yeah, it is so much of coaching is a structure and space doesn't require any kind of weird touchy feely magic black boxness. It's the discipline to ask some powerful questions and the discipline
0: to answer them deeply and not to get in the way. And, yeah. Which is the big challenge for coaches, for human coaches, to to bring their their own neediness or their own wanting to the space. Um, yes, true. That wasn't my question. So let me get to my question. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, I keep interrupting you. So I so I look at technology advancing dramatically, and I think it seems to me the next great challenge for us will be the level of our consciousness as as people. That'll be the problem, won't be our technology. Um I look at the world's leaders and I'm, I'm alarmed uh, at how insecure most of them are and how much chaos they create out of their insecurity. Um, so it, it seems to me a really important subject and one that as a as a race, we've got to get better at. Um, so so my question is, I, I think of insecurity like poor metaphor, but like getting your HSC or getting a a, a TAFE uh, certificate or doing an apprenticeship, it kind of qualifies you, to enter your work, to, to, to go and do good work in the world. Um, I think it should be a problem that people kind of realise is solved easily and effectively if you can un- understand the modelling around it so that you can do good work. So, um, so my question, finally get to my question, do you think insecurity <laughs> is a problem uh, that can be solved, uh, at least at the level of growth that you're at now, so that you're not hindered by it?
1: I wonder if the framing of the question um, has some inbuiltness that is worth challenging. Like, can we solve insecurity? I'm not, like, I'm not sure we can solve insecurity. I think there's, there's a wiring to our brain, which I don't claim to understand, but that says insecurity is everywhere there's probably a Darwinian reason why insecurity actually serves us. There's a way that insecurity Okay, so Jamin totally riffing here. Right. Making making stuff <laughs> up good. as I go. This is so but good. If you go, um look, the danger of humankind is we assume that we're gods on Earth because we feel you know we have we have everything. We have conquered the planet, hence environmental destruction, blah blah blah. There's an argument to be made that humility is what opens up an opportunity for humility, which opens up an opportunity for a sense of groundedness and awareness of your strengths and your non-strengths, your weaknesses. What, when, when insecurity doesn't work is when it's, um, when it cripples the potential. who you are Mm. where it does work is when it works in balance with your securities where it says look we are a complex mess of interaction Mm. if you have no insecurities you might be a psychopath (laughs) but if you have insecurities and maybe i'm collapsing insecurity into just you know human flaws <laughs> um knowing knowing that you are inherently flawed but uh, but somehow perfect at the same time mm. and you can see I love these kind of these paradoxes you're flawed but perfect you're, you you everything you do is matters immensely it matters not at all um I don't think the I, I don't think it's about curing and, inse- you know, solving insecurity. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bug. I think it, I, I think it can be a feature,
0: mm.
1: but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, but I can see how a lack of insecurity just creates destruction.
0: I don't know. Does any of that land? yeah it does land and i think about that um you know got a friend who's a who's a superbike racer and if he were to say oh, i broke my leg i can't race tomorrow jamon do you want to sub in for me if i wasn't insecure about that um there'd be a problem there you know if i didn't go, no who i can't i'm not good enough yeah of course you're not good enough you've never raced a bike you'll crash you'll kill yourself and if not someone else so i right. think that's how i would think about that um however i, I watch I watch beautiful, inherently good, intelligent people have these messy stories in their their head of lack and limitation that cripple them. And I think I'm not sure that that has to be like that. I'm not sure that's part of, um, yeah, the design that must remain. I think that's unnecessary suffering.
1: So I, you know, we could reconnect to that Roger Martin question around what needs to be true. Mm. And we're like, what are we after here? What needs to be true for people to fully express potential in a way that furthers themselves and humankind and the planet? Uh, It could be that people, you know, it could be that the, I don't know what the answer to that is, Um, but it might be that the answer to that is our insecurities become a source of self-growth and learning and
0: humility
1: and generosity and kindness. Mm. Maybe.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's uh anything that keeps us humble and open is a beautiful thing to be to be closed and yeah. sure has to be destructive for us and those around us. Um yeah, so uh, that that that's okay. That's I, I like that. That works for me. It's something that I think about. I dream about. I write about. I uh, there's not there's very few nights where I'm not having a conversation about insecurity, even in my sleep with somebody. We're um, gonna kind of been ruined for anything else at the moment. This is the this is the thing. So it's a
1: it's a, it's a really interesting portal into what does
0: it mean to be human. I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have there been, have there been books along the way that have been particularly useful to you? You've, you've referenced a couple, any others that are worth mentioning for, for listeners to dive into that will help them, uh, think about their own opinion of themselves and their storytelling and what it means to be human with, uh, you know, powerful and, and, and empty at the same time.
1: Yeah. You know, So I'm, as everybody can already tell, I'm I'm a big reader and I love reading. And actually my, I have an undergraduate degree in literature and I have a master's degree in literature. So there, there is something very powerful about reading fiction because reading fiction creates empathy and helps you just see the inside of other people's heads and i think that's a way of lessening the chatter in your own head because you're like oh it's it's not just me i'm not just weird i'm just everybody um you know it's i notice as when i'm uh, speaking or presenting and i can say things like do you ever have this moment when and i'll say something which just happens to me and like you know, 80% of the audience goes, oh my God, how does he know that? Yeah. I'm like, because we're all the same. Yeah. We're all amazingly different. We're all pretty much the same. So I, I think, you know, if if there's a way of you finding fiction that really you love, and there's so much, so many different types of fiction. You know, some people will love YA young adult literature because it's got great plots and great characters and it's got a rip-roaringness to it. Some people are like, I like the Russian, I like Dostoevsky and Tolstoy because it's long and it's dark and it's bleak and it's like, you know, you're kind of looking at the, the soul of mankind. You're like, okay, so different strokes for different folks. <coughs> um, but in terms of building confidence and compassion, you know, I think it's just something that you have to come at sideways it's it's really useful in my experience for somebody to go just be more confident (laughs) like i hear you shouting but it's just not shifting anything in me and so a book that's like you're amazing let's go forward it's like all that all that drives me nuts about the self-help genre which i'm part is it's like it's all a bit too shiny and a bit too happy and it's when coaching is at its least good, I think it often has that kind of like everything's sunny and be good and be bold and it's all a bit too much. So you could definitely, you know, look to people like, I mean, Brené Brown is uh, the writer of the moment around her stuff around shame and vulnerability and, and normalizing that and surfacing it and making it part of our conversation. I think, um, you know, that's probably where I point to is you go to yeah, Brene's sure. stuff.
0: Hmm. Um, speaking about fiction, do you tell stories when you coach? Do you, do you share examples? Let me tell you a story about someone or something as a way of bringing fiction into the coaching experience. Not a whole lot. Um,
1: When I'm coaching, I'm really continually trying to ask myself what is best in service to the person I'm coaching Hmm. with. And it's a it's a really slippery thing because there's ways that you can just get in your own kind of I'm doing look at look at me being a brilliant coach. (laughs) Look at me performing here look at me showing off my wisdom and my skills and my knowledge and whatever it might be and it can be quite seductive and quite slippery Mm. and um i find that often when i try and tell a story about myself or about somebody else you can just feel a subtle shift of energy Mm. where i've lost an intensity and a focus on them and I've allowed them to get away from something that felt important to them so i mean never say never but i'm 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 probably more likely to ask them to tell a story you go know, is there anybody does this remind you of anything Anybody, yeah. you know, in your life who's done something like this. there so mm-hmm. if, if you had to tell me a story of what this reminds you of, what would it, what, what story would you tell me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think coming at it sideways is a very interesting idea because, um, when people build up these ideas in their mind that are confronting and terrifying, hitting them face on is often a, a bridge too far. So yeah. sideways, um, coming around the back way. Exploring alternative realities through story, and um, it's,
1: it's like amazing. it's like you you can't come at happiness directly. It's no. Another one of those things. Mm. Lots of people have written about it, which is like you you know, right back to the American Constitution about we are champions for the pursuit of happiness. It's like you know you you get happy not by hedonistic life, but by volunteering <laughs> and doing things that. Uh, and doing work that engages you and you're like, it, it doesn't directly make me happy, but somehow it does. It's, mm. it's yeah.
0: Wow. Um, I, I'd love to finish a conversation just by hearing a bit, bit about the work you're doing in the world and uh, a chance for people to understand box of crayons and, and stuff that you're, you're really passionate about at the moment.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, so box of crayons is the training, learning and development company I set up and you know, The way we talk about Boxing Crowns is we help organizations shift from advice driven to curiosity led. So we tend to work with big Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies to help their people utilize curiosity, which often means being more coach like, giving them the coaching skills. So taking some of the stuff that I teach in the coaching habit book and the advice trap book. Um, about a year ago a little longer now i stopped being the ceo of box of crayons and handed it over to somebody infinitely more capable than me so i've been actually in this position of of exploration about so what now you know i take off this suit that i've been wearing for almost 20 years around on box of crayons who am i now so it's been an interesting uh you you know this they tell about Herbert. clap crabs, when they outgrow their shell, they have to scuttle across the ocean floor to find another shell that fits them. And, you know, who knows, you know, that's when they get eaten and whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, So I, I, I feel like I've been scuttling on the ocean floor for a bit, but um, the new website is mbs.works. And uh, what I'm trying to do is help people be a force for change. So not just do self, growth and self-development but how do you do that to make your world a little bit better Mm. and um yeah there's some various ways that we can help people go this is how you step up to be more of an activist in your own life by changing the things that are broken around you
0: and what's your dream for the world out of that work what do you what do you hope to have happen you
1: know i i tend not to I tend not to try and articulate outcomes because I've just got a long history of getting that totally wrong. <laughs> like every 5-year plan I've ever written is ludicrous. 5 years later I mean it doesn't even come a close <laughs> resemblance to what actually happened. So mostly I just try and commit to um the process that feels most likely to generate something interesting. Hmm. So I'm trying to, we're, we're building a membership site that launches uh sometime Uh, 2021 and it will be trying to engage people to work on the stuff that matters to them Mm. and what i hope is the world gets a bit better because people are working on important projects and have the courage and the competence and the community around them to actually make change happen at a small or a large scale depending on who they are
0: Mm, wow um sounds fantastic. So people can find out about that at MBS.works.
1: Yeah. I mean, for now, there's um at MBS.works there's a thing called the Year of Living Brilliantly, which is uh a 52-week, 52, 52 teacher, it's like this ongoing free course. And I just asked 52 amazing people to say, Teach me your best thing in two to six minutes. Wow. And you get a basically you get a video every week which is like, here's something good from this person. And you know, there's like thousands of people who are going through it now, and there's this real community building around people learning and growing and changing. It's really cool.
0: How wonderful! Um, and so, yeah, listeners can jump on and, and get access to that.
1: Yeah, it's totally free. MBS dot works is your doorway to everything.
0: Amazing. <laughs> uh, is there anything we've missed? Anything that I haven't asked you that you think would be useful to share? Anything that you were thinking of in preparing for this conversation? Um, <laughs>
1: You know, there's probably it feels like there's a conversation that could go on for quite a while because if <laughs> yeah. the, particularly if it's if the included is is there anything you haven't asked me I'm like yep. <laughs> more than one thing you haven't asked me but it feels like this was a pretty good complete conversation and an interesting one as well
0: I agree um, I'm very grateful for the conversation it's been it's been very useful for me I, I'm sure the listeners will find it useful as well uh, thank you so much for your time and your generosity and I'm glad it was persistent. So we'll sign off there, and uh, Perfect. thanks again.
1: Yeah, thanks, Shaman.
0: You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. The aim of the game is to show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear, and insecurity so that you can be at your best where it matters most. Now, if you're ready to begin the work of becoming unhindered in your life, The Unhindered Short Course is an eight-part video series designed to help you do exactly that at only $99 for a limited time, it's an offer too good to refuse. For more information, go to the insecurityproject.com.